0: to that. I'm not sure. Higher? Jeez. I don't know. <laughs> I I don't know. There's been yeah, a lot of people connecting me with connecting with me lately. So Yeah, <laughs> yeah sorry.
1: <laughs> and no, it's okay. I was just wondering so how how if you could uh yeah talk how how did you get involved in this whole sort of journey? uh
0: <laughs> Well, if you don't mind, I'm not going to go too much into
1: that right now because Well, no, I'm actually no, no, no. Working... Yeah, no, 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 I mean, I kind of got a little bit of the idea how you got involved. With yeah. The guess, how did you get involved with the more uh the speaking out about the experience? That's more what I mean.
0: Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Well, I've been a teacher for 20 years and I've always sort of um I, I, you know, I basically spent my life training students to figure out what they want to do, what their calling (laughs) is. For a long time, you know, teaching was my calling, and um, I think that when I got really sick going through benzodiazepine withdrawal, um, I kind of, I mean, you're isolated for a very long time, and you're not in a good way, and as I started to come out of it at, like, you know, 24 months, so two years, two years of, like, solitary confinement and stuff, trying to deal with a very uh, damaged brain as a result of some, you know, uh, you know, I, I don't think it was through malicious intent, but through poor information, um, I started to think, uh, I started to go on the, you know, the Internet. And I realized I'm not the only person going through this. Like, there are a lot, a lot of people out there. Yeah. And because people are so damaged, I mean, because our brains are so damaged, um, people are really almost unable to advocate for themselves. So they're just alone for years and years or um, or they kill themselves. And once I started to really connect with this community of people, I realized, well, I don't even – I mean, it, feels, it sounds like delusions of grandeur to even say it, but I, I realized, like – I'm in a unique position to actually help people. I've been blogging since two thousand and ten, and I have a pretty had a pretty broad readership and um I have a lot of students with whom I'm still connected. I have a pretty big facebook um presence right. and um so I just was like, oh my god, I'm, I mean it's I've always been a writer, and I've always been a pretty fearless writer about um like willing to share my vulnerabilities and stuff, so it just almost seemed natural to to, um, share what I had been going through and what I was coming out of. And then as I started to do that, people started to email me, private message me, call me to say, oh, my God, I've been on that medication, I can't get off, or my mother's been on this medication for 30 years, or, you know, like, I know people in this situation, it's awful, and that kind of, and then people were calling me, and it just feels like a huge responsibility, and I'm not a trained I'm not a counselor, I'm not trained, so I should be careful about how much I absorb here because I'm still healing myself, but I'm back to work part-time, I have friends, I, you know, I'm safe, so it just feels like, for me, this is, I can't, I cannot just sit and do nothing, and I feel like the other part that I'm really, really fortunate about is... um, you know, I was married to a doctor for 20 years with him for 25, and while our marriage has not made it through this, um, I was very fortunate to get some incredible therapy along the way.
1: Uh-huh. I went out
0: to I went out to the meadows in Arizona. I don't know if you know anything about it. No,
1: I, I noticed you you wrote me about that. Yes, mm-hmm. I've, uh, I'm familiar with it a little bit. How how it's an, do you, do you mind talking about that experience or no? Not at
0: all, not at all. And I, I I feel really lucky to have been able to go out there because when people talk about going to a psychiatric hospital, I think people immediately, I mean, I know I did. I pictured freaking, um, like, when once flew over the cuckoo's nest, you know, I was like, I'm going to be locked in, there's going to be Nurse Ratchet. they're going to be medicating me. And that is not it at all. We sat in a lot of... Um, informational educational seminars about trauma and I learned a lot and I could see the basis of my um, I could just see how everything was connected my early childhood experiences my sexual abuse as a teenager you know and how it connected to um, my son's um, delivery when he was born back in 1999 and that's when all the um sort of panic started happening, so for me, it's been like, Oh so i I didn't get what I needed way back in the day, <laughs> and now it's about um reparenting myself and knowing like I'm a big girl and i I have to take care of myself so um I don't know if that even makes sense, but when somebody gets it, it makes sense, I think so um but i I had never had any counseling, I never dealt with any um I didn't have any skills in place to deal with the rape that I had endured when I was seventeen. I mm-hmm. never processed it, dealt with it, and I didn't get a lot of support when I tried to tell my parents about it. And um, I think that did they uh, like, did they
1: minimize it, or they thought you were maybe making it up, or?
0: Um, I think my parents were well. I can. There were two different reactions. My mother blamed me immediately. What were you doing? why were you out, what were you where, I mean, all that stereotypical stuff that yeah. you hear, right, like, I mean, I went to a feminist college, like, I remember academically reading about these things, like, what college? I went to Hobart William Smith College in Geneva, New York, so there's a difference between reading about things in books, and then, like, actually internalizing, so... I was able to sort of almost splinter or something that, like, I could read about things and say, yes, this is wrong. This is terrible. But I wasn't actually able to realize that that is exactly what I had gone through. I I literally did not make the connection. And so my mom, you know, shamed and blamed and um, made me feel generally uh, terrible about myself. And my father basically shut down. He – did not have the coping mechanisms himself to be able to say, um, I this is not okay, I love you, I believe you, we need to pursue this. Like I I got we got you, you know, this is not okay. And I um I didn't get any of that. So the most important thing was this happened in the summer of nineteen eighty five, The uh, summer of nineteen eighty five and I was in the August of nineteen eighty five and I was supposed to go to college like, you know, September 6th or something like that, and um, the biggest, most important thing my parents focused, my mother focused on was making sure that I was not pregnant, so I was taken to the OBGYN, given a pregnancy test, and once they determined I did not have, uh, I was not pregnant, they um, encouraged me to get AIDS testing, which I did, and I did that for the goat. You know, we immediately after and then at the six-month point, and I was not HIV positive. I did not have any sexually transmitted diseases. And once they just determined I was physically healthy, they just said, okay, you know, you're going to college in two weeks. I had no support. <laughs> so um, my coping mechanism became uh, – I just became a stellar, stellar student. I just pushed myself into my work. I studied. I learned. I did everything. I never dealt with it. Any of it, literally until my son was born in 1999, I had a terrible traumatic delivery. I lost um, my, uh, my my uterus didn't contract the way it's supposed to during childbirth. And so I was bleeding out and had to have an emergency emergency surgery, and it took me months to, re, you know, months and months to recover. I had to be intubated. I stopped breathing. I mean, it was really bad. And um, it took me months to recover. And from that moment, I literally did not feel, like, prepared to – I just – I started so under the gun trying to take care of a baby, and people are telling me how important it is to nurse, and, and – it was all about someone else and not about me, and I was on, like, a, a autopilot and uh, with no support, and um, I think it just started this, like, panic, you know, like, so that was my nighttime brain trying to figure out what was going on. My, my husband wasn't helping. I asked him to stay home and help a little bit. No, 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 no. He had to get back to work. So I was all alone with this infant that I knew nothing about, and I just felt completely terrified and um that just that anxiety cycle sort of began i it was like post traumatic stress and i didn't recognize it i just didn't how, you know, how did you
1: cope with it then
0: um i remember crying a lot and i remember um See, I, I remember specifically going to Gymboree with my baby and thinking, I i mean, I think there's something just in, intuitive in me that understands, like, I need to be with people. Bottom line, I just need to be with people. So um, I went to, like, this insipid little place called Gymboree, and I found other mothers who were willing to admit that they were not having the easiest time. You know, like, we were all a little bit embarrassed about being at Gymboree, because, like, what is your three-month-old baby really going to be able to do? I mean, you know, right. like, <laughs> it became very clear to me that it, Gymboree was for moms, not really. So, I mean, you know, it's fine, you can lay the babies next to each other and blow little bubbles at them all day long, but it was really for the moms. And I met a woman who became my closest friend for 14 years, and she, um, she and I did everything together, and that connection, that emotional connection, uh... I think helped me to overcome a lot, but um, I wish I had had therapy, and I wish that I had known something of post-traumatic stress because I probably would never have gone to a psychiatrist who would have, you know, who just um, prescribed antidepressants to, you know, deal with,
1: with yeah. my insomnia. Well, before we uh, talked, one of the things I was thinking about is that these uh, medications, drugs, benzodiazepines Mm -hmm. have been around for so long, but I'm wondering why now that there's so many people with all these uh, uh, adverse Uh, uh, reactions.
0: uh, Oh, I have a theory on that. That (laughs) is literally not anything that I've ever heard anyone articulate, and I've done a lot of research. I... You know, like I said, as an educator for a long time. I'm really, like, interested in reading about history. And so we're a nation. We are a country <laughs> built on trauma. I mean, when you think about how every immigrant comes to this country, everybody comes here, came here under distress, right? Like, that's our whole country's story. People leave yeah. because they're oppressed. They come here. They literally are leave, willing to leave every single thing they know, the safety of their language, their country, the places they know, the people they love, their homes, and they leave because they're in pursuit of a better life. Right? I mean, that's the that's the that's the discourse, that's mm-hmm. the American gene. But in order to do that, you are actually um, traumatizing yourself and the people you who come with you, right? I mean, like, that's true. Children
1: Absolutely. Right?
0: I mean, moving, like when you ask a child who has moved from school, so, I mean, the research shows that, like, it's really traumatic to make kids move.
1: Yeah.
0: And um, so that's essentially what our country is built on, is, like, people who are, like, literally moving, sometimes under distress, sometimes by choice. But that's our immigrant experience. Right, like, so you have people coming on ships and, and, you know, all this stuff. That's our experience. That's what our country is built on, this immigrant experience. But at the root of that is trauma. Yeah. And I be- I believe that stuff gets passed down the way people interact, you know, trauma makes you resp- your brain respond a certain way. We yell at our children. We yell, you know, mm-hmm. we're not nurturing. It makes you short. You have to find a job. You have to find a way to support your family. I mean, it's not, um it's not easy, and so I think that when you blend that kind of trauma, right, with, um, a culture which we've gotten into in our medical society, our medical culture, which is you have to trust your doctor, trust your, trust that the, trust that the people, you know, that, there, It was all built on good things. I think like a hundred years ago, our doctors generally,
1: (laughs) right? They really,
0: really cared about their patients. Like they went into it with a heart of like, oh my gosh, I want to help my patients. And I believe that about our government too, that like hundreds of years ago, our government was created by the people for the people. But over the, over time, people have become, um, disconnected from those, um, you know, we've become much more alienated from those processes. Like initially, initially, you know, people, those country doctors, you just, you know, he had a medical school degree, but it wasn't a machine. The way yeah, about. and that country and,
1: doctor, you know, when, when, you, uh, when you went to go see him, he asked you about your... your, your yourself, your, father, your family, your, father, yeah. your
0: whole person, treating right. the whole person rather than just the symptoms that the person was. Yeah. They spent a lot of time. They came to your home. I mean, all those kinds of things. We're so divorced from that now. And I think somehow our medical system became really about... And this is not my theory. This is like you know, well, this is documented. I right. Yeah. I mean that, that somehow we've we've we stopped looking at the whole person. We started looking at symptoms and um and you know, there are some medicines that are really great, like, right, Advil. You know, we love Advil. It's a nice, or, you know, uh the aspirin. It has so many benefits, and there's so many medicines that help for long life.
1: Yeah, but, but like anything else, I mean, it can be toxic to the liver. And yes, the
0: it's, yes. It's, and so I think what happens, what happens along the line is that, you know, I don't, I'm don't. i one of those people that doesn't really totally believe in this whole conspiracy theory. I was married to a doctor for a long time. What type of he, doctor, if you don't mind? He's an, he's an ophthalmologist, and he's a very good surgeon, and he is good at what he does technically, but yeah. he has no bedside manner, right. and he went into it because he was very poor growing up, and he wanted nice things. I mean, that is, right. self-admittedly, that is, those were his motivations. Sure. His parents, his parents said, you know, if you want to, you're so smart. Go to medicine, and you'll be able to have cars, houses, things, food, you know, everything that you want. And he's a good person, but his motivations are a little shaky. And right. um, and I think there's a whole generation of people, multiple generations of people who look and say, oh, you know, doctors make a lot of money. Doctors have a nice life. You'll never starve, all that kind of stuff. It attracts a smart person. And um, when you are... I, I know that these doctors are not doing things with malicious intent. They are some not are, saying, some
1: are. They're not the majority. Well,
0: I don't know that they're intent. I really, you know what? I don't even really believe that. I'm not sure that anybody thinks. Ha 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 ha! How can I destroy these people? I don't really believe that. I think that maybe people do not have access to um, information. The you know, we, they get they get their information from from drug reps. Right. Um, and say, we've done research, this is the new best thing, and sure. the doctors trust the drug rep, and without but doing their own independent um, research.
1: Analysis. Right. Yeah, but, but, they, one, one
0: they don't have time
1: to do that. <laughs> yeah. One, one thing I'll say, though, uh, which I think is in line with what you're saying, is for the most part, I, I agree. I mean, I think there are some ones that do have malicious intent, but
0: I'm sure, but, right? Like any industry, there's the criminals. But, but, but ones, right? the, for
1: the most part, the issue is more that the system itself uh, it's is, so is, is rigged and set up to survive. That uh, or make you know, you get enticed with the dollar signs. That yeah. shapes their behavior in a lot of ways. I mean. Or, uh-huh. or
0: yes, absolutely right. Because you know, doctors like comes. I mean, we went to the Royal Hawaiian Eye Meeting several times. Well, you get lured to go to Hawaii to learn about you know whatever the newest and greatest procedures are. But you know, a lot of times, doctors there's not accountability to which sessions they attend, or if they decided to go whale watching with their families. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not really sure. Maybe if some of this new information is being presented under the guise of CME, you know that people are really tuned into it when you have, like, a huge lunch and a huge dinner that you're trying to, you know, you're on your phone trying to make your connections with your next meal or, do you know what I mean? Like, there's just so many, there's, it's so incentivized to, um,
1: Yeah, but, but I'll give you There's an no example. incentive
0: to really help your patients. It's really about sure. your own fun.
1: Sure, I agree. I mean, I think that there's got to be a change in the way because as human beings, yeah, whatever, we're motivated by that. That's uh, what we're going to do. But, um, yeah, but I grew up in the the, the Northeast, uh, since you were saying about the women's, liberal, uh, near the Bryn Mawr College, if you know where that mm-hmm. area is. I do, sure. But uh, now I'm in the Miami area, and this, I feel, is sort of uh, a lot of ground zero for a lot of healthcare uh, dodgy practices. And uh, Right, right. right. <laughs> like, I'll give you oh, an example. Oh, no, there's
0: no question. I mean, it happens in ophthalmology, too, like in Florida. There's an aging population, so people are vulnerable. They're, you know, they might not have access to the Internet or they're, whatever. They, they're the people that grew up trusting their doctors the most. Yeah. And so people recommend surgeries. People recommend medicines. People, I mean, all kinds of stuff. But, you know, yeah, go ahead. What were you going to say? Yeah,
1: yeah. I won't mention the guy's name, but there's this, this uh, psychiatrist here that uh, he has, you know, he has offices in Florida and also he has offices in uh North Carolina, uh, sure. Vegas, and Colorado. And these, these sure. very machine kind of practices. And he does sure. a lot of research. And basically one of the practices he does here, he takes like the really uh, disenfranchised people and he'll pick them up and uh,
0: sure.
1: pay them to participate in these clinical trials for psychiatric medications. So
0: right. Uh, so he's like <laughs> literally giving them medicines uh, or drugs well, and giving them money
1: for to do it. And giving Picking them money them to do
0: the yeah. drug trials, yeah. right? And that's just messing with your brain chemistry. Oh, these are the most disadvantaged people, yeah. We need money. It's a right. disaster. And then, you know, and so I'm just one of these people that sees how it's all connected. Every time there's one of these shootings somewhere, you know, it's always a vet. And so it's like he was receiving, you know, psychiatric care. Right. Okay. What did you guys give him? You know, his brain, He's between the trauma and the medicine, it's... <laughs> It's not working, you know, and, yeah. and the medicines, some of them were tested on men in the, like, what, in the forties and they're being given to women who have completely different wiring. I mean, it's just criminal. It really yeah. is criminal. And, and then, and then that coming with the arrogance that like, that doctors often have. Um, I know what I'm doing, I got, an, I had eight years of education or nine right. years of education, and people do yield to that. I mean, I, like I said, I'm a teacher. I went into this, um, last week's class, I had my students read um, a William Carlos Williams story, I'm wondering if you're familiar with it, The Use of Force. It's like a classic. It's
1: two no, years, but it's two pages. I, I, just the title itself, I would love to read it. Right. But... It's
0: it's a t- It's two pages. You can read it in 10 minutes. And um, the basic premise is this country that the doctor goes to uh, a family and he is a doctor and he feels educated and there's a, there's a fear that the daughter, you know, this young daughter might have diphtheria and she is not opening her mouth to let him look. And the parents are shaming the girl and she's scared because she doesn't want to have this diphtheria and the doctor is getting pissed because he's used to people doing what he says and so he starts yelling at her and then from yelling he goes to putting his hands on her and from his hands on her he goes to get a wooden spoon which he uses to then force her mouth open Uh and she's bleeding and she splinters the spoon she bites down on it and at the end ultimately the um it is revealed that the girl does in fact have diphtheria, but um Reality is, you know, the doctor now is like left with the reality that his patient is very ill. He has nothing that he can really treat her with because back then, you know, there was no vaccination or real treatment. And um, now he and he's and you know, so they're looking at each other. So when is it appropriate to use force? I mean, if there's a huge medical, um, larger public safety issue. Is it okay to use force, or like when is it okay to use force? And the doctor feels rather terrible about. It. You know, he's angry, he's furious at the patient, but he's also angry at himself. He can see an internal war. It's a really interesting article. When we showed it to the students, you know, my take on reading that piece, I have a much different interpretation from modern students. Many modern students, they, I'm telling you, there was one older student in there, my age, who said that that teacher used way too much force, or that that doctor used way too much force. It was. You know, if someone did that, use that kind of force today in a doctor's office, there would be a lawsuit. Yeah. You know, forcing a child's mouth open, making them bleed, you know, screaming at a patient—that would not fly today. Everyone else in the classroom, everyone else, said that the doctor was trying to act in the best interest of the patient. Patient. Interest. Yep. And that the force was um, completely justifiable. justifiable. Yep. And I looked at these, this class of students, and I felt like, oh, my God, like, I don't know how to fight against this groupthink that we have in our country. I don't actually understand how it happened. that we are, we just believe that doctors um, have, that we, just, that we just defer in that way, that we defer. We, we forgive. We say they know best.
1: Yeah, and, and I I noticed one of the things you put on, uh, you post on one of your blogs that Google thing that, that your oh, Google yeah. search doesn't equal my medical degree, and even right. my my own personal experience, I it, I I got a little overboard with my own Google searching and stuff and made myself a little panicked and it, I mean it, sure, it could sure. have it, have, it could have detrimental effects, but but I, but I feel that people aren't really real uh, acknowledging the, the positives of of that. Uh, I think one of the greatest things that we have now is that the uh, that the sort of dem- democratization of, uh, of information that previously you would need a medical degree to access this information now now almost you know uh, I mean some of it's a little bit hidden with subscriptions, but if you're creative anybody can get access to the latest
0: yes and it behooves it behooves us to get, ask those questions because. And I just answered someone like this on my blog. today. she really had a negative reaction to that. That um know, to me saying that that was arrogance to have that sign up in an office. She said, "I, I, you know, how is it that a Google search could equal a, a you know a medical degree?" And that's not exact. I mean, that's not exactly what I was getting at, but. There are plenty of doctors out there who are resting on their medical degrees, which they acquired a long time ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, exactly. They are not keeping up. And so if a patient comes in and says, well, I did a research, I searched this, and it seems like there's a lot of dangerous side effects. Can you address them? It would be, in. A, I mean, I would only hope that the doctor would say, wow, you know, I may not be up on the most current stuff. But, you know, what doctor does that? No, 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 I prescribe tons of this people, uh, you know, so if people are seeing tens of thousands of responses where people are saying, I'm having trouble with this med, I'm having trouble with yeah. I'm having trouble with I'm having hundreds of, you know, I'm having, I'm having panic attacks, this is much worse than what I presented with. Um, yeah. we, people need to like ask their doctor and if they're not, um if it's not lining up or you know, I don't even know what the, you know, I think that people still would go in and say, okay, well, you have, you know, they would probably, they might be, I, you just have to get a second and a third opinion. And try oh, to it depends doctor. on the person
1: too. It depends what kind of person. Yeah, in.
0: It, it does. It does. Because I have to say, I think that if, even if I had done the research a long time ago, I don't know, it just it just depends. It depends on the way someone um, presented the information to me. If I challenged my doctor a long time ago, i I like to think that he might say, I don't know, because I have a great doctor. But he admitted to me, he said he completely changed his prescription, his benzodiazepine prescription practices after learning about what I've gone through. Yeah. He, just, um, he will not prescribe any new.
1: Well, let me ask you this question. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you, are you familiar with the term medicalization? Sure,
0: of course.
1: I forget it. there's a sociologist who sort of came up with the term, but... but oh, yeah, the
0: it's a medicalization of, you know, society. <laughs> right,
1: like just everywhere. We but, all have
0: patho- well, it's our path... We're pathologized, like everything... I mean, if you went and went to a psychiatrist, just um, as a person, they would give you a diagnosis based yeah. on whatever you... There, There is a diagnosis for everyone out there, yeah. um, whether it's anxiety, depression, bipolar... Um, like, you know, person, what is it, um, borderline personality this, There is something up there for everyone, and that is beneficial to pharmacy and to psychiatry, because if you have a diagnosis, then you get
1: treatment. Prescription.
0: You get treatment, and treatment
1: is a pill. It's a pill. It's a script. Well, not always. I mean, sometimes it can be, I mean, it, it sort of also crosses over into the other, other realms, like, uh, if you, if you're abusing drugs, you could qualify for residential, you know, uh, rehab. But that's a,
0: that, but that's a diagnosis. I mean, you're getting, oh, yeah. usually, you're usually yeah. getting a pill. I mean, you're, yeah. you're depressed. They're going to say, select the Prozac, well, butrin, a of I mean, boom, 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 boom. You're anxious. You're going to get something. See, someone's texting me right now. Just read your post. I mean, like, I just, as we're talking, I'm just getting yeah.
1: things. And,
0: um, so, so you but know,
1: another, it does but another thing. No, I don't hear it.
0: people. I don't hear people saying what's going on with your work, what's right. going on in your life, how are you in your relationships, are you getting along with your children, what's going on with your parents, um, you know, what's going on in your life. Maybe you need to slow it down. Maybe you're working too hard. Maybe you don't have balance. Um, you know, there is, for me, I see how connected all this stuff is to just our our ethos and our connection to um, – it, it's, it's just capitalism. It's the way – Yeah, we,
1: it is. It, it, mm, it's, I mean, we it grew is.
0: up with an ethic of – you know, and this is what people espouse, our work ethic as a country because we're immigrants. People willing to willing to work for oh, what cost? hours a week. 60 hours a week, right, because they're trying so hard to do better for their families, but that's what we grow up with. Work hard, work hard, work hard, work hard. Well, I have to tell you, I don't think we're actually built that way. I think we're built much more like a Mexican, we you know, like Mexican-European model where you take a little break in the middle of the day, have a little siesta, take a 20-minute nappy, and come back, re- refreshed, revised, revived, and able to move it through the rest of your day. But that does not—that you know—that's not—that doesn't work for a factory. Model. Yeah, but
1: going back to the medicalization point, another mm-hmm. thing that I think is really interesting about this is like you, you take a, a recreational uh, making marijuana
0: uh, oh, right, legalizing right. for
1: recreational purposes. So I think that's really interesting, and really I believe that people uh, should. You know, if they're if they're getting benefit or healing from using drugs, why does it have to be tied to a medical diagnosis? Right. Well because it's is, much
0: because it's you don't get any money if you're growing your own pot. <laughs> right.
1: No, you don't get any money. Yeah. Right. But, but this whole concept of, of um and that's one of the big problems of the whole pharmaceutical industry, that everything is to me my but it will never really happen is the FDA should just be concerned with safety of of the public and the, the, the drugs, rather than always having to connect it to some medical conditions. I think that really limits the, um, the creativity and also the, the research and development with coming up to better, more, uh, more useful uh, drugs than, than, than mm-hmm. having it tied to some specific medical diagnosis, which, is, which may not even really exist anyway.
0: Right, and then you know, at the risk of sounding like a complete wackadoo, yeah. <laughs> when you ghost, I don't know what your situation is if you had an experience like this, or some people sometimes call them like white light experiences or whatever, uh-huh. but like i I had a very bizarre experience, which is not uncommon for people going through this or yeah. any trauma, and um you know, I have never i mean i I went to temple growing up, like I was brought up a little Jewish girl, and right. like, you know, I certainly went to temple, and my spirituality is always more connected to nature and being outside, mm-hmm. and I can tell you, in the d- deepest, deepest depths of this experience, when I literally was like thinking about killing myself all the days that I thought right. about this, there was a voice, and it's a voice inside, you know, the voice that calms, and I do not identify it as my voice. This is not my inner voice. This is another voice that said, I have you, I have you, you're going to make it. I don't know what that voice was because I had no knowledge that people could make it through this. Mm-hmm. I, um, sorry, I get a little like, I, right. had no understa- I had no understand. I don't know what that voice was or is, but it, it's literally the voice that keeps me going. And, um, for me, that's the God voice, like whatever people want to call God, for lack of a better word, that's some weird spirit voice that somehow connects people who go through these traumatic kinds of experiences. Yeah, that's beautiful. And, and it is it is beautiful, but it's like, okay, so let me keep going with it. I feel like, for myself, this goes back to your original question, if you are a person who's ever read the Torah or the Bible or whatever, there's all those stories, or just stories that for you. Um, Moses, who, you know, hears God saying, you've got to rescue your people, right? He, that's the message. And Moses does not say, oh, great, that sounds totally great, God. I'm on that. <laughs> he freaking flees to Midian for years and tries to escape. But, of course, the voice follows you. And ultimately, he had to, like, go back and be like, Jesus, I have to actually do something to try and help help people and when you understand the bible or the torah and those that kind of way that like you can't we do have a responsibility to help each other and um free each other and we are slaves right now we're like we're enslaved to these ideals and these false gods i'm like my god we're back in sodom and gomorrah like we're worshiping these false Things and you know, I'm like, do I really have to build the freaking ark now? Like, I have to be Noah, really? I have to build the ark. And I mean, I, like I said, I'm not trying to be grandiose. It's just I'm making connections. Like, so no, I like it. These, it's
1: great. I, I suddenly, I like all it.
0: these Bible stories. You know, for me, who's a literary person and who's read all this stuff, I'm like, oh my god, I have a completely different connection to these stories. They're not just stories anymore. They're they're parables about like what we have to do. And when you start thinking about what we actually have to do, that's where people get really disempowered. Well, I are you probably...
1: familiar with the, uh, one of my favorite uh, sort of metaphor stories with this is the, uh, sort of the, the Kabbalist notion of, um, uh, of Genesis, that there was this big explosion and, 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 and that there's all these uh, scattered shards of light and the way that you sort of restore godliness in the world is, through uh, acts of loving kindness.
0: Right, right, connecting, exactly. I totally am familiar. I love that. I love everything about that. And, um, you know, but, like, you know, one of the things that medicalization, that that, 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 that by buying into this, like, um, it's – I hate to use all these throwaway terms, but, like, you know, the patriarchal idea of, like, science over religion and stuff, like, that's been Mm -hmm. historically present – is that people make fun of those Kabbalist ideas, or they yeah. make fun of if you're a religious person and see these parables and these stories as, like, well, you know, a, a way that we're supposed to live our lives. Right. Um, that So people, you know, there's this, like, splitting. There's this, like, dichotomy. And I actually see now how they can, how it is possible to, um you know, Those things can coexist. Those ideas right. of religion and science can coexist. I mean, there's books called like "Of Scientists and Sages" conversations, conversations with scientists and sages.
1: Well, there's a famous where, one that I, the the Tao of Physics is that Oh I,
0: yeah, I mean, like Stephen Hawking, you know, he's like the science creep, but you know, he the things he says are not any different than what the Dalai Lama says. It's right. Just, there are incredible parallels, and um, you know, I just think that like. I could go on forever, but when you see these connections, it becomes like the movie *The Beautiful Mind*. You know that scary moment when they open the door—the wife opens the door and she sees that there's all these pictures and articles, with, like connected with strings. And
1: you know, very he interesting helps... thing about that. Since you brought that up about that movie, mm-hmm. uh, let me ask you this: I wonder if you know this. Sure. Right, uh, uh, the guy John Nash, what, what they, yeah. uh, what they, they, they sort of they altered some of the truth to appeal. Uh, right. right. you, know, you know about that?
0: A little bit. I mean, like, it's my understanding. Well, go ahead. You tell me. Well, my
1: understanding um, is that John Nash, uh, he eventually went off of his medication, but uh, the way yeah, he's portrayed yeah. in the movie was that he took he the medication is what made him function, but yeah, no, that is not
0: true yeah. at all, not at all. He actually found a way to coexist with these voices, voices or yeah. whatever. And, yeah. you know, I have to say I completely relate to it. I think we all have those voices in our heads, right? Those, I mean, you better tell me that you hear them, right? Like the ones that say to you, like, you're not good enough or you're never enough. Sure. Right? I mean, we all have those voices. Yeah, but they're and, usually
1: like, from some, uh, you know, you could call it a traumatic experience or, or I mean, in mine, I feel most of them come from my father telling me I'm not good enough. Uh, right, right.
0: People. Or teachers telling you that, yeah, or that somebody too. saying <laughs> oh, all that. So those are those like voices. But that's a, why is that any different than his voices? I mean, he, yeah. his were just like a little, little more difficult to maybe possibly relate to. But we all have to learn how to coexist with these crazy voices that say like you can't do that. You'll never be able to do that. You, you know, you're not smart enough to do that. You're you, you can't. You can't. You can't. We have to all learn how to live with those voices, and I hear them really loud. I mean, I hear those voices. But what I hear, and it's actually for me, I don't know if you hear. I don't know if maybe everyone has it. It's the blog that I just wrote because I'm, I'm realizing my my voice is not. I have both. I have that voice that says you'll never and you're not good enough. But I also have a voice that says you have to do more. You have to do more. It's not a you're like. It's not, not enough. good enough, like the perfectionist
1: It's not voice. good
0: enough, exactly. And that is the voice that is just crushing me. Like, that's the responsibility voice where I'm like, come on, I'm. tell me what I'm supposed to be doing now. Because I really do have that reaction, like, when I – like, I, how, what am I supposed to do now, having gone through this experience? How do I fix the world? How do I fix okay. it? How do I fix it? Like, please show me. Because I don't – how do I take on big pharma? I'm literally, like, begging for lawyers. And I'm like, is that really the route to – or are you just trying to educate people? Well, and, I, I, my
1: perspective is really educating the people. Because I yeah. think if, if, the, if a critical mass really knows what's going on, you know, big you pharma doesn't have a customer you have base.
0: To, you have to educate the doctors. You have to educate the people teaching the doctors. You have to
1: – Right. But, but, like, but I think going to so the so much. Is, if you. Is, is the, the best route because...
0: But so then what do I do? I have to go back to school? Is that a thing? Or can I just be considered scholarly enough because I'm smart and teach myself and read and have had an experience? So I really have to go back and get a paper and spend $20,000 no, I on don't, a degree I don't and do all, so. that? I, I, I my life will, all that? My life will that won't that be long enough. Like, yeah, I won't I be here talk- long enough.
1: I think there's a lot of corruption. That's another whole conversation of yeah. the corruption of the whole educa- higher education.
0: Educational. Right. So for me, <laughs> I'm saying I'm living in the midst of it. Like I'm a teacher who lives with a doctor who is polydrugged, and I see how it's all connected. The yeah. food that we feed our children, it's not food the way we, we think about this. Okay, here's a whole other way that, you know, from birth until death, we're completely medicalized. Think about how many people handle death. It's not a natural thing. You get pumped with chemicals and True. bombs so that people can see a body and put it into the ground. Where do you think those chemicals go?
1: Good point. In the ground. In, the, in the, ground. the atmosphere. Where does
0: the ground go? That's our soil that we grow crops that goes into our groundwater that we drink. We're poisoning ourselves. What makes us think that we need to do that to, to view a body? Let it go, people. It's a body. I just heard a whole thing about, have you heard about these um, mushroom suits? (laughs) They sound so crazy. The idea is that, like, instead of going into a casket, you can be put into a mushroom suit. I just heard about it on NPR. It's like a shroud. It's called the Infinity Burial Suit. And it's a prototype of a suit that's embroidered with thread infused with mushroom spores. Like, I'm not making it up. You can Google mushroom I believe you, yeah. And people are really trying to say, this is so much healthier and cleaner and greener for the earth. Why do we want to create coffins that have dyes and, you know, paint and, like, you know, all this stuff that we then sink into the earth with a body that's been embalmed or, you know, it's like, what are we doing?
1: Well, I mean, yeah. But, with the, with like, the thing that I love about, I guess, today's day and age, that, uh, there, yeah, you can say all the bad things about the internet. There are you know, with anything, any, any technology. There's good and bad, but I mean, I think it's great that you know we're able to connect. Uh, you know, a thousand miles away, over a thousand miles away, and I, I find all these other like-minded people throughout right. the, uh, the, the interweb. But I'm just frustrated in my local community. It's very hard to find people that uh, that have share these views. But uh, well,
0: so okay, so are you ready? This is my big theory on that. People always say, where is God? Why doesn't God come down and tell us what to do? My belief is this is how God is, that God is telling us every day through this these experiences, hello, wake up, wake up. And so you're never going to find a community. There's conventional thinkers are the people who go to work every day, 9 to 5, eat their stuff, take care of their families, and do it all again the next day. Right. But God is sprinkling around people who have crazily similar experiences, very similar experiences, so we have to find each other. Those are the shards of light that you're talking about. Right. This is God <laughs> talking. This is Kabbalah at work. I don't know what people want. I mean, like, I don't know what they want, but I'm not going to write about that because people will be like, she is crazy town. Yeah. crazy town. Listen to her. I mean, I'm profoundly aware that that just sounds like craziness, but when you see how connected it all is, it's an empowering feeling, but it's also, uh for me, I get very, I feel very powerless because the discourse around speaking about something like that will get you, um, will not get right. you very
1: well. True. I mean, what I really would like to happen, I don't know what your opinion about this is, if you've been following this stuff, is like there's been a lot of uh, different stuff on the interweb and uh, on news, uh, mainstream news uh, uh, channels about people like Obama talking about mental health or addiction. But but I feel the, the thing I don't like about it is it's still, you know, I heard Michelle... It's Obama an old model.
0: It's a very... Um conventional model very like, conventional
1: it's like michelle yeah. about my said, you know we need to think about addiction like or not addiction or mental illness like a broken elbow or a broken knee and it's it's just not the same it's, thing it's, it's not, not the it's right a model. whole body system
0: yeah yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> it's just i mean but
0: i but i understand what would i mean what you're trying to do no the
1: point is to acknowledge it and not uh, marginalize it but but i think the right. but this this yeah, just talking about it this way, I feel uh, inflicts uh, unnecessary trauma on the people that are suffering. As far as right, i right,
0: right, because we're, um, because, you know, and I'm part of the system now. It's like, you know, I've got quote unquote anxiety, depression, bipolar disorder. I am lucky because I hooked up with a great therapist who's like, you're not bipolar. You have feelings. It's called feelings. Right. You know, that, that means you are profoundly aware when something doesn't feel good. You cry. So because you cry a lot because this is a sick planet, yeah. um, you get, you then you're diagnosed with bipolar. And I was like, right. holy shit, Bruce, you know, Bruce. And he's like, yeah, you're not bipolar in any, it's not a real diagnosis. He's like, you know, if it means that you have great happiness and great sadness, okay. Stop um stop well, I mean, or or that there's something Or you go to take
1: something like an Abilify, which t- t- makes you feel nothing. <laughs> right.
0: Right. Well, same with, um, you know, benzos have an um, amnesiatic effect. Yeah. Um, so, like, you might be mad at your spouse and try to talk about them, about something that's bothering you. But then once you take the medicine, you're so chill that, um, and then, you know, then you go to sleep, Like, right, people are taking this stuff for sleep. You go to sleep, you know, fight the next day because it's gone. It, has, it actually has an amnesiatic effect to it.
1: Well, because if you think about you it... You never it, get it, to
0: resolve what's really, or work through what's actually upsetting you, or, you know... Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, because often, if, you, if you look at it, 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 uh, it works similarly to alcohol, I mean it works right. similarly oh, right. receptors.
0: It's no different. One of the things I'm having a lot of trouble with in the benzo community, and I understand where they're coming from, but I, I do think it's a disservice. They don't want to use the language of addiction models to um because because benzo people tend not to be drug seeking we get our medicines from doctors, mm-hmm. right people in white coats who are somehow like we're not addicts on the street, we're not drinking in the bars we're not like on the corners trying to get you know oxycontin or whatever. Yeah. I just think that that's a you know if we if we if we didn't get those drugs from our doctors, then you know, a portion of us probably would be out in the bars and looking for others. So I just I do think that like instead of trying to separate from the from drug addicts who are no different from the rest of us, right? They've had a horrible trauma in their lives. Right. So why why they want to separate it sort of hurts my heart and a lot of them are taking issue with that I'm making those connections that like the the black guy on the corner holding the bottle, you know, asking you for for some money, is no different from us. Like we are that person. We just go to a,
1: a yeah, but the the whole the whole context does shape the experience to a great degree. I, I mean, I'm really for decriminalizing all all right. drugs, like like they do in Portugal or other places. But I think a lot of the the you know, having to run around the street makes the problems... It really amplifies things and makes it worse.
0: Mm-hmm. But, well, what does that mean? Sorry, i got to eat some breakfast because I have to go teach in a little while. What does that mean if you're decriminalizing, quote-unquote, all drugs? Like, what do you mean?
1: Like, mean? Yeah, I, I mean, mean,
0: it I mean what,
1: what, anyone can... Uh, what does it mean? It, it means that basically that... Uh, Hold on, hold on a second. Um, yeah, what means, want... yeah, what it means. Yeah, what it means is that um, yeah that people can go to a, like a regulated pharmacy and get their drugs that they want recreationally, rather than going out in the uh, streets.
0: <laughs> so what are you allowing people then to use, quote unquote, recreationally?
1: I mean, this isn't isn't really practical, but I would say they can basically use anything they want recreationally. So.
0: Yeah, I, I do not support that.
1: Right. <laughs> I'm guessing you
0: have. I'm guessing you have not been through this experience.
1: What experience? The the benzo. Uh...
0: Yeah, the withdrawal is unbelievable.
1: I mean, I've taken benzos. I've never had. A, I, no, I've never had any real uh, bad uh, affection.
0: No, I mean, it, it, when you're prescribed ben, I was on benzos for eight years yeah. by my psychiatrist, per his writing, and um, it changes your brain chemistry.
1: Right.
0: And um. So, I went in because I was having insomnia, and I came out with um, two hundred and fifty different side effects um, right. not while I was not while I was taking them while well sort of i mean like in between you know but once you try to get off it 's like you should not be giving medications to people that they cannot stop
1: but uh, we 're going back to more of the practical thing I mean, when I was saying totally decriminalize everything it 's not practical, but more more of the stuff i 'm supportive of doing stuff like there I even heard that the mayor and and Ethica, New York, was talking about it, like the uh, safe injection centers that people can mm-hmm. go
0: mm-hmm. and yep. shoot up Heard in a
1: supervised that. environment. That kind of stuff is more. Oh,
0: that's fine. So, like, just addressing it where we are now, because you know, these people people have addiction, so don't make them, you know, have to run around. Just have a provide a safe place.
1: Yeah, but 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 yeah. more like a little bit even more further than that. that like somebody who's a heroin addict and, and and that they could get heroin prescribed from their doctor, for example. That's, I, mean, that's...
0: Um, I, have to, I have to think about that a little bit. Okay. I just would never want that to be um, – I guess my goal would be to have people be informed and not start these drugs in the first place.
1: Well, no, but, so, but here, yeah, my, my viewpoint is more about it like that, it, uh, educating people on the harms about, about if People are going to use drugs no matter what. And drugs aren't inherently bad. I mean, but – for the most part, it's hard to have any drug without any negative side effects. But right. really educate people to do them in the least harmful way possible.
0: Yes, yes, exactly. They're, 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 yes, okay, I agree with you there. That's
1: basically the, 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 that's the, the agenda.
0: I guess all I was saying was that I would never want somebody to say, hey Doc, I'm thinking about I'd like to try heroin. I'd like, you know, can you write me a script? Like that would not be cool of me. But if somebody's already a drug addicted – Yes, it would be much better to have a script written from... Well, but I still
1: think even if the person wants to do it, I mean, it's not going to happen. This is just a thought experiment. Uh, if, no, if the because, really because you're, addicted,
0: do- you're addicted to heroin first time.
1: No, but that's not true. But, uh, but you, you, you can look in the data. Without it. Actually, it's not true, but...
0: Well, there are people who say they are addicted the first time. Like there's just such an incredible. Yeah, but but, uh,
1: but if you actually look at a lot of the data, only. I, enough, that's
0: I wouldn't call I wouldn't call it addiction then. Who are just so let's not call it addiction. They're just so these drugs are so appealing. Um, I don't know. Yeah, but it goes back. I would not, to want, to norm, I would not want to normalize that at all, and I but definitely it, would not it, it, want to. Put it, it, it goes into back to the
1: other thing about the trauma addiction that you have to understand. If you look at a lot of the statistics, that only about twenty percent of the people that use heroin become addicted.
0: Um, I don't know if that's true. People, I can just tell you that most addicts are not reporting. (laughs) Most addicts kill themselves, or, I mean, that's just, they self-destruct. They're not part of the system. So I'm sure that's true, that 20% of reporting heroin addicts, I mean, it's just, that's people in the system who are.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, what you're you're saying is true. It's very hard to get accurate numbers.
0: Yeah, I mean, people kill themselves. People in benzodiazepine withdrawal kill themselves. But yeah, but good I'll, but
1: I'll give you, i'll give you another example of it is that uh, have you ever had surgery before um yeah what type of surgery
0: um i had um um some girly, you know feminine girlish like you know, okay, but and stuff but, like that. Uh, mm-hmm. but but
1: anyway like I'm talking about more like some something where they're giving you a strong you know general anesthesia painkillers almost that like
0: Yes, yeah, so when you have a D&T, you are given anesthesia, you are put okay. under, you are... But you know, generally, you probably out.
1: experienced basically some type of pharmaceutical, almost identical to heroin, and you didn't become addicted.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely, but that stuff <laughs> is doing damage to your... I guess I would argue this. I do know this. That stuff... Okay. So when you're using a benzodiazepine in a surgical procedure in conjunction with anesthesia or whatever. I'm not not talking about benzos.
1: I'm talking about opiates.
0: Well, you're getting... If they're giving you um, whatever they're giving you, if they're giving you... Sometimes people... You get a little bit of a benzo. You get... um, Like, even if you're going for a colonoscopy, they give you a little bit of a benzo.
1: Right.
0: Usually. So, um, you know, they have to give you the benzo to give you the opiates. I mean, to cut into you. They have to put you... The thing that puts you down immediately is the benzo. So... Um, I mean that's when they're when they're putting you down, like the whole like t- count back from ten to one ten nine eight seven six that's a benzo, yeah, so um, so what that's all I'm saying is you're right, you don't get addicted from that, but when people are coming you know when they're quote unquote coming off of anesthesia, you know people are loopy, they don't remember that's that whole anesthesia um,
1: amnesia but but, I, you and
0: know. But, yeah. but what I was gonna say is that um that's a short you know that's like a Not even, you know, you're not even taking stuff for two days. It's, like, one time. And I believe it does something to your nervous system. I actually do. I believe just the same way that there's, like, a – what do you call that? Like, a – when you add one – what do you call that? A something effect. A qualitative effect, right? So if you smoke pot in high school Mm -hmm. and you're drinking – and oh, or synergistic,
1: we, or uh, there's a, it's, a quali- it's like
0: qualitative, it's like, it's you know, it adds up. Potentiate, like you just,
1: and, potentiate maybe?
0: Oh. Yeah, I don't even know. Like, whatever you call it, just, it adds up. If you try LSD, and then you try cocaine, and then you try ecstasy, all those drugs are doing something to your central nervous system. That's what they do. That's I mean, that's what those drugs are. They affect your central nervous system. I truly believe that over time, that they do. They do something to people, some to some people's nervous system so that when then they are um, exposed to certain meditations, those people are extra sensitive. And um, I just say that because I've heard so many stories at this point. I mean, like hundreds and hundreds of stories, and almost everyone has. I mean, not even almost everyone has trauma in their background. Yeah. Many people have sex, sexual abuse. Many people have um, tried. You know, they were medicating recreationally like you're talking about um, in high school and I just think all these things together you create an individual who's sensitive so that like you said not everyone experiences this but it's, it's the, the numbers that I found are it's a third a third of people experience almost no syndrome at all, a third of the people experience um, some uncomfortable side effects and a third experience debilitating side effects yeah. that's a lot, that's a lot I mean, that's a lot. So that's where I'm coming from. I was not given that information. And um, and I certainly would want to, um, I mean, like if you, I, I just, the Internet wasn't around so much when I was, I mean, people weren't posting videos the way they are now. I mean, certainly now if I put in side effects of benzo, you know, of Klonopin, I would get a different search today than I would have back in 2004. Yeah. Um,
1: sure.
0: You know, people are making even just the technology that didn't exist then. I you know people didn't have all those movie-making apps on their phones, and it wasn't so easy. Like, is this, now it's easier? Anyone can post anything. Yeah. So I think there is better information out there. I just, um, I just got to figure out what my purpose is and like how to, how to do it. And like lots of people say, you're doing it. Just keep writing about it. I'm like, Ugh, I feel like it's got to be more, and I don't yeah. know what. How did you come to all this stuff?
1: How did I come to all of it? Well, I mm-hmm. mean, like, it's uh, a good question. Uh, I mean, my own background, uh, uh, my, I, my father was sort of abusive. He's a doctor, too. Uh, he's a radiologist. Um, what, what else? Um, also, uh, because I, I was sort of uh, misbehaved and mischievous, particularly in middle school, and, and because of that, I actually got labeled and had to put into...
0: You mean you it's, asked a lot of questions, and didn't do what everyone else was telling you to
1: do? Is that what you mean by mischievous? No, it was more that I was very like uh, I'm six foot five now, and by when I was oh, wow. thirteen, I was about six one. And I just felt very <laughs> awkward, and and sort of to cope with that anxiety and feeling different physically, I was just very. Uh, I did a lot of stupid things, like just I'll give you an example. Like I had this yeah. watch that um, that made these chicken noises, and I would press that in the class and bother the teacher and get suspensions and detentions for doing stupid things like that. And yeah, because of that, I felt they sort of applied that uh, gateway theory of drugs onto my behavior that I was doing this kind of stuff now that, you know, a couple of years from now, I'd be doing much more hardcore things. And then had to get them put in a special program, and then the special program, they made me do a lot of therapy and stuff. And uh,
0: Wait, I'm not, I've got to stay with me slow on this for a minute because I'm just trying to make the connection between – Students acting out, yeah, like you know, just trying to be a normal teenager, like looking for attention, which is what teenagers do.
1: Yeah,
0: how is that connected? Do you see to um, the drug stuff?
1: Oh, it's later, just uh, like because the I make these connections maybe they're not clear. It's just on um, to me. I, I like you know the gateway drug theory. You smoke pot and then you start shooting heroin. A couple, of little, you know. But so, uh, how
0: is that connected to you feel? Oh, because you're saying because you felt like like you felt awkward and. You no, 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 no I, I'm it. not I thought I the they were
1: applying they were uh, applying that kind of model onto my behavior that I was I was doing little. Um, you know, oh,
0: the, you were like recognized as a kid at risk or something like that. Yeah, like this is you a, Uh you were like targeted as a kid yes. his behavior is like making us worried instead of just saying like that's a normal teenage behavior right. oh my god okay 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 i gotcha yeah and because of that how old, and,
1: you and, how old are
0: you
1: i'm uh, 34 okay
0: you're a little younger than me yeah so you you totally got that model okay i gotcha yeah and
1: then uh yeah it just made me feel bad for myself but i i sort of isolated from all my friends at the school and then and just and yes. just put with these people who were much worse than me where I felt like yes. they were, with a bunch of degenerates and it just made me feel worse about myself and uh but I mean the good the meanwhile of,
0: meanwhile those degenerates needed help too, right? I mean they're like you know yeah, I mean,
1: they, may have they been did. worse
0: but like they needed help too. You know, they they, they had messed up stuff too.
1: And then the interesting thing about it is that my parents were still together, uh, uh, when I was in this other program, and all the other people in the program, well, they were like, some come from, came from adopted families, some uh, mm-hmm. were, um, they, uh, yeah, most of their parents were divorced, or separated, and I was like, well, you know, I, my parents seem kind of normal, they're together. Right. And, but then, after a while, I mean, my parents didn't really have the best relationship. My dad was cheating on my mom, and eventually, that sort of broke down, that relationship. Uh, and, but, but, but but going into this special program was sort of why, I mean, this other therapist told me they thought I would be a good therapist, and from then on, I sort of wanted to go into the, the helping, healing professions. hmm
0: hmm I totally get it. But thank you for sharing that. I appreciate it. No problem. It. I mean, I, my thing is so mild, like you're saying. Like, you know, my parents are married 52 years. They love each other. It's the weirdest relationship. It's like nothing I would ever want to have totally codependent and weird but um my mother is a very critical person she's my father is an engineer he's a like huge perfectionist so between my mother's criticism and my father's criticism um you know they're crazy both neat nicks and you know whatever i don't even call it ocd it's like they're just crazy perfectionists they need everything to be crazy clean and you know they're vacuuming while you're eating dinner I just think it's cultural, you know. Like every Jewish person I know, is, like cleaning up, while you're, it's just weird. So um, I don't even try and like label anything anymore. I just try and say like I had it pretty good. Like you said, no divorce, no infidelity, um, no alcoholism. My dad's a huge workaholic, but um, you know there. So you like, had that was, you
1: had that sexual abuse. So you brought the, I mean that, that was right. that
0: was later. That was later. So yeah, I think but that's that still
1: came, uh, still early enough that it has a big impact. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly, and then just the way that it was um, not it was supported mess. in my family. Yeah, I was dismissed, exactly, and that would, that was very um, – that was it. Like, that's the root. Those are just the tentacles there. So.
1: Yeah, and then the other thing I'll say regarding my older experiences, I never – I always felt very, very critical of the mental health field from 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 day one, and I was always trying to find a better – a better model to help people. And for sort of the last couple of years, I really have gotten interested in more of this trauma-informed approach and studying about mm-hmm. all the, the physiology of trauma and stuff. So oh, uh,
0: interesting. So like, are you reading like Peter Levine's stuff and all that?
1: Uh, yeah, I have, he has a new book I'd like to read. I've read the book Awaken the Tiger, but the thing that mm-hmm. really blew my mind, I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, the ACE study. Um, tell
0: me.
1: Well, I really, you, you got to look into it. It's basically about, um, yeah, it was a study conducted by two family doctors, uh, Vincent Felitti and Robert Anda, and they surveyed 17,000 adults uh, that had Kaiser uh, Permanente Insurance, and they asked them basically a detailed uh, history of uh, their family life before the age of 18. And they asked if they experienced uh, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, um Domestic violence, if they were raised by one or neither of their parents, if one of their parents had a or family members had a drug problem or a mental illness, and each one of these right. events, they um, they gave a number to, and that was considered the ACE score, ACE or adverse childhood experience score. Okay. And then okay. The higher the number, the more likelihood uh, they were, the people uh, would develop uh, yeah. men- Trauma, mental health, con- right. mental, but right. not just the mental. uh health issues, the, the more... Right, issues somatic the,
0: symptoms and...
1: No, not even just that. They would also, they're much more likely to develop a COPD, diabetes, heart disease, and even die 20 years earlier.
0: No, that's what I'm saying. People yeah. had physical somatic symptoms of, like what you know like they have real like you said diabetes, you know they have physical diabetes. yeah but when you said somatic, it's connection between oh I no no of lingering yeah kind
1: of somatic oh
0: no no i mean like people yeah. actually have like obesity or yeah. like you know whatever it is like people yeah. have issues as because the mind and the body are not split the way we like to think they are they're born right. on the same they're connected.
1: I mean, I'm sure you, you saying, i that that you know about this when so you were talking about it. I mean, the ma- the major thing that's really, really, it's really stressed and how it really impacts your your central nervous system, like you said, and that's that's one of the. Now we really know the mechanism how it, it can lead to these uh, disease, physical diseases, and also your your the the endocrine system, hormonal system, and the uh, and the immune system is often compromised.
0: Right. So the big question then is. How do we, as a as a culture, born out of trauma, literally built on trauma, yeah. like stop re-traumatizing each other? You know what I mean? Like.
1: Yeah. Well, I, well, I mean, I think the first step is of the awareness of it, and, and mm-hmm. I mean, that's where I'm passionate of the education, just trying to tell as many people as possible about this. But mm-hmm. but then, but I mean, I think the other, the the, the major thing is trying. I mean, it's much easier to prevent it than, than to repair people that have already experienced it. Absolutely. So, so trying to, you know, people that are, are having kids or going to have yeah. kids, trying to make them aware of this so they don't re-traumatize the next, traumatize the next generation.
0: Right, right. So then the question is, when do you do that stuff? Because I certainly was, you know, supposed to go to, like, you know, you get signed up for, like, Lamaze classes or, what you know, childbirth, you know, classes, right? People, like, sign up for all these classes about, like, actually how to have the baby. The bottom line, baby's coming out one way or the other. Like, you don't really have to know that much about that. But when can you teach people about this stuff to catch them before they're actually already pregnant? Because um, nobody wants to hear it in their health right. classes.
1: true.
0: <laughs> and, you know, in the city, people are getting pregnant before they even get to 11th grade, right. you know what I mean? Like it's just, and so you can't wait to do it until they're pregnant. In a Lamaze class, and then those are only people by people who have money. Yeah. So like, why is this not in our just general curriculum? Like
1: should be. Yeah. I mean that's one.
0: Yeah. And communication yeah. skills and what we can expect from each other. Um. You know yeah. that you're not alone, and that if you have, and if you go to somebody and tell them. If you go to somebody with a problem and you tell them their problem, if they don't listen to you, if that person doesn't listen to you, you need to go to somebody else. Right. Like, I heard people always said when I was growing up, if you have a problem, tell an adult. I did it. They did nothing. <laughs> right. I needed to tell another adult. I'm keep calling adults until I got somebody who's sympathetic and, like, validating. Okay. And that's, for me, that's the... Uh, and then, like you said, by then the damage is already done. So, like, how do? You...
1: Yeah, but, but on the positive side is that the, we do know that the nervous system and the brain can—you know—you you have neurogenesis and you can regrow synapses and neurons even until you, you totally. get it into old totally. age. So,
0: totally. Thank God because I—it's hard to explain how damaged I was by. And it's getting better, and I know you can't tell it on the phone, and I know even when people see me, they're like, you're so beautiful, you're yeah. doing great, and I just look at them like, you have no idea what it feels like inside my body, and it's made me have so much more empathy for people who have things like chronic fatigue, since, like, all these things that people sort of, you know, you can't, they don't test for, like, can't, there's no t- test that says you have chronic fatigue, it's like a rule-out thing, or MS, or any any of these diseases where you can't see, like, a broken bone or see a liver that has, you know... Yeah, and and that's,
1: again, why I think it's so wrong when you have, like, Michelle Obama saying, we need to treat mental illness like a broken bone.
0: (laughs) Well, because you can't see it. It's invisible. But if if what she means by that is that we believe it, that it's a real thing, like... That we believe that are Yeah, that's having... the
1: positive side of the message. Right. The you know what I mean? Like if someone goes to
0: the doctor and says, I have a broken arm, I think I have a broken arm, and the doctor doesn't go, no, you don't have a broken arm. Like no one would ever do that because you can actually see it, but what I thought that she sort of meant by that was we have to validate invisible issues the same way we would that things that we can actually see and test and Yeah but the the test.
1: problem the problem in in the in the, the practical realm is and then these people go get put into mental health institutions and they're told that you have a brain disease you'll never right. get that. a, a chronic disease will right. never right. be able or a to chemical
0: work a chemical imbalance and all yeah. that kind of stuff yes
1: so that's I the,
0: totally get it so we're on the same page like, but I just feel like it's not enough like what else I don't know. And like I said to you, I, um, I, you know, I'm like a sort of an activist type person. Like I, I guess, you know, when you were saying, asking me at the beginning, like how did I get into this? I mean, I was a huge proponent of, you know, like take back the night in the 80s and all these sort of like, I just, you know, I did lots of, I just used to stand it, um, I mean, whether you believe it, or, you know, agree with me or not, I mean, I certainly took a stand for what I believe in terms of women's reproductive rights yeah. and just, you know, women's rights. Make their own decisions for their bodies. So I did all that stuff. I mean, I, I, I there's pictures of me that were in Time magazine. I mean, I got people well, well,
1: like well, going back to that because I, and I, I think that the, this the whole psychiatric medication is one of the biggest human rights violations. It's not that well, right?
0: So about. that's so that's <laughs> what I was just going to say is that I've always sort of been an activist, and I don't see it as any different than like I black, agree. you know, African Americans who have had this, nobody's going to give you your give you your freedom. You have to freaking take it. And so just yeah. the way African Americans or slaves had to like, you know, get what they needed. Um and just the same way that women had to get what they you know, ask for what they want, demand it, the right to vote or whatever. And just the same way that gay people have to say, well, We want our yeah. rights and just the same way that, you know, whatever, like, whatever they are, this is like a whole piece of um you know, the, the, those quote-unquote who are mentally ill. I don't even like to use those because I don't like, I don't like you those using terms. term. I,
1: like I just maybe sort of to say un. distress that's better. Mental distress or what, what Yeah, that's better.
0: Mental distress is great, and I actually like to just say unconventional, like unconventional thinker. Yeah, unconventional theater unconventional people. I mean, I've always been a non-traditional thinker, and I've never really fit into. So yeah. I just never. I just have never been that person, even though people are always trying to push me that way. And so when you think when you think outside the box, um, oh, we,
1: yeah, we need people like that, and I've been that way too. And it's like we like the Steve Jobs of the world and all
0: these. People yeah, totally, totally. So I guess all I'm saying is, like, I've never shied away from being an activist. Like, I've never been afraid of talking, reaching out to other people. I'm a connector. It's what yeah. I do, whether it was before my blog or with my blog or social media, I mean, social media makes it awfully nice but like yeah. i just am never afraid of it but there are a lot of people out there who are not built that way you know that's true just not built that way and so that's why i was saying, like i feel like and it's I'm not meant to sound like like i said grandiose or narcissistic it's just like my god i have this, the skill set that to like really do something here i'm like my god am i freaking Aaron brock or what like i have no training I, yeah who am i Oh, it's yeah, new, but, like,
1: but I think there's the a little, I mean, I'm sure you understand it, too. A lot of the training and the stuff is a lot of, of uh, you know, bullshit, too. A lot of, Oh, the, totally. <laughs> so
0: so here's what I've been toying with, and I, I just alluded to it on my last blog, and I've been getting a lot of people contacting me. They're saying, would you be willing to come to my house and, like, care for my mother or my father or my brother or my father? you know, for a while. Like, what you say is, you know, because I have to go to work and he needs, you know, he needs somebody. And my thing is, like, my God, like, is that something I could do? I certainly know what that is and what you need to do to, like, give somebody the validation. I mean, people are so needy when they are having paranoid, you know, the, the experience is this, at least for me. It was, like, I would go and take a walk with my father. The world actually felt like it was tilting, like you're, there's something really off with your brain, and so it actually your center, like all your centers, the balance and everything are off. So I actually had a physical experience that the world was going up and down. I used to call it the on the boat thing, like if you've ever been on a, you are in Florida yeah. you've been on a boat, that like on the, when you get off the boat, you know how you sometimes still feel like you got that on the boat sensation?
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, that is something that I lived with for two years. I used to say, I wish I could get off the boat. I wish I could get off the boat. So there's physical stuff going on. But then even freakier is that I would, like, go to the grocery store. I mean, force myself to go to the grocery store. And I would look at people, and I was sure that they wanted to hurt me. Like, I was sure that people in that store wanted to kill me. But then there was another part of my brain that was like, no, they don't. This is the medicine. Like, you you do not... Nobody wants to hurt you. That is you coming off the medicine. That is just a weird side effect. But do you know how hard it is to push through a store when you're actually having paranoid thoughts? Like, it's crazy! And, you know, I've never been a paranoid person in my life. Like, I have it's just, like, never! And, but that's part of the chemical withdrawal coming off of this. You have depersonalization, derealization, paranoid thoughts, um, you know, intrusive thoughts. Like, it's, it's It's impossible to explain what it is, but it is crazy-making, and it's why people kill themselves, because you do not believe it will ever end, and it lasts a long, long time, and it's not okay. It is not okay to take a medication that causes these kinds of damage. It's just not... Right. not... People need to... To, to
1: be better informed. So. Well, I anyway, well, thanks a lot for you know going, oh, thank you. On this journey with me today. I appreciate. It. I think we, we I know. It. I
0: feel like I need to. You need to send me the transcript so I can like write fifty blogs of it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll
1: send it's you kind of the, the, like, the file. you be happy to send me the file. I would
0: love that if it's not too much trouble. I would yeah. love that. I just can me, it Give me
1: your. Uh, if you could send me a message on Twitter yeah. with your email. Yeah, well.
0: yeah, yeah. I totally. I would love that. And just as an FYI, this is a funny thing. One of the reasons that I thought it was kind of cool to connect with you, yeah. my very first childhood boyfriend, Jeff Friedman, definitely oh, wow. M. Friedman, yeah, oh, I know. Oh, that's my middle one, name, too. I know, and so, yeah. but I didn't know that until I got onto Twitter and saw that, and I was like, are you kidding me? And so what I originally thought was that my friend, was my friend Jeff, oh. you know, tweeting <laughs> one of my posts, because he and I actually are friends on Twitter, um, and Facebook and, you know, all over the place. And he's actually somebody who's trying to help. He's a lawyer, and he's trying to help me find some kind of potentially – this it's not happening that well. But anyway, so I just thought it was really funny that first time um, first time I saw your name. I was like, oh, just, you know, retweeting myself. I was like, wait a minute, that's not
1: that. Uh, actually, funny. before I forget, have uh, you heard of – you're familiar with the guy Peter Bregan?
0: I am, and he lives only an hour away. He will not call me will- back.
1: Uh, he was well,
0: in Ithaca. I'm in Rochester. He is
1: wow. well, a but he's he's gonna be I have I've been a fan of him for a long time. He's gonna be at this conference uh, next week in Clearwater really? that, that I'm going to.
0: Really? Oh I saw that that there's that cool conference. Yeah. Um that that that, that like trauma conference or whatever. Um, that's so cool. That's actually how I found him because that was on his website. Yeah. Um, but but apparently he doesn't answer his phone or anything, and I'm he's like, pretty hey, old you know. now.
1: Maybe if give him. I know. 80, but...
0: I know, but he's such a a great speaker, and he's got. I'm like, that guy's gonna die, and we're gonna yeah. be, you know, we're gonna lose so much great knowledge. So it's great that you're going to see him. Um, I yeah, think Robert
1: Whitaker is gonna be there too, uh, who I've always loved to see. You know him too. I don't. I don't know who that is. Really? I mean, you really add a, yeah. He's a, a giant. I mean, he's uh, the journalist for the...
0: Uh, you can't read everything, dude. <laughs> oh, I,
1: oh, I know you can't. But, I mean, uh, uh, but, uh, Maybe I so, have,
0: but I don't recognize it. But he's anymore. one
1: of the big figures. He wrote the book, Mad in America. He's really one of the biggest oh, figures exposing all this stuff. Yeah, Yeah,
0: of course. Okay, yeah. so I just don't recognize the name. Yeah. But, yeah. So, uh, so I'm really grateful for the contact. Thank you. I will email or I will tweet you my... Um,